This is the Horse Radio Network. This is Episode 6 of the Healthy Critters Radio on the Horse Radio Network. Healthy Critters Radio is brought to you by Biostar US. You can find them online at biostarus.com. This is Tigger Montague. And this is Patty Perucci. Hi, Patty P. Hi, Tiggy Rella. We have quite a show tonight. We do have quite a show because I want to find out what natural means. <laughs> That's what I want to know. I can't wait. I honestly, seriously can't wait. And I can't wait to hear about saddle fitting with Margaret. I know. I know. I can't wait for that either. I think we're... Um, we're gonna. Ha- I, th- I hope he does just as well as Beth does. I don't want to put that pressure on him, but indeed, I will tell him that. <laughs> That's so nice of you. Thank you. Because saddle fitting is such an art. Oh, and I think yeah, it's, it truly is. You know, it's interesting if you think about years ago, and they all rode in one saddle for all it's, of the horses. I know. And it's fascinating, but I do think. It is amazing to watch the progression of how horses move today versus what they moved before. I mean, except for Klemka. But, you know, um, but you know what I mean? Anyway, I, it is, it's quite an art, and Marty's one of the best. Yes, he is. So, and I also can't wait to hear about ice compression boots. Christian is one of the most fun, interesting guys. He's he's. German. He's a, a vet. And oh, well, I didn't know that. And he's he's full of charm, as you might imagine. But yeah. his knowledge of um you know treating muscles with um cold and compression therapy, it it's so interesting this this product that he's um representing that's from actually Australia. Yeah, I just, I can't wait to hear more about it, and I can't wait to see it. I cannot wait to see it, like, with my own eyes. I know, which which you will see next week. I know, yeah. I'm excited about that. I'm excited, because I think, and especially being in Houston, this type of a thing is big, and there's such a market for that, you know, down here, so. And, and you know, one of the challenges that I, I think that we, I mean, I used to face when I was riding, and that riders and trainers face now is, Getting ice cold enough. Yeah. And the ice boots are really great to use because they're convenient. Right. But I remember Tim Obert telling me there's nothing better than ice. Yep. No, it's yeah, better exactly. than a gel. Yeah. It's um and and one thing I like about this compression sock is that you use I mean you can use a gel pack. If you if you're going to a show and you need to just pack something easy and you don't you don't have an ice machine or, but the ice works. That's really the best kind of cold therapy you can use. No, it's true. It yeah, and it's so I'm excited to hear about it. Excited to see it. I am. I am. And we've got a great breed. Yes, we do. I can't wait to hear about border terriers. Because I have learned some pretty cool things that I the did only not know. thing I know about border terriers is. Is knowing Gavin, your dog, <laughs> the giblet. Gavin's known worldwide, and it's not—it's it's not all good. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm totally kidding. Gavin, Gavin's one of the the best dogs I've had, but he—I'm um, not sure he is typical of the breed. There are some things that I learned that um, I knew, and some other things that I didn't know. So it's kind of cool. We got to talk to Hedwig as well, and, and we uh, talked to Hedwig, who is yeah. down in Wellington. Yeah, good. So. Hopefully she's, she's our dog on the street. I uh, hopefully she's not going to be cranky because it's not cold. It's not. It's not cold anymore, right? It's going to be cold this weekend. Okay. Very good. I'm excited. So let's let's get going. Now here's something we hope you'll really like. Let me introduce yeah. you to um, our listeners. This is Marty Haste from the Horse, of course, and he's one of the best known and and most highly respected saddle fitters in the country for dressage horses. 
So with that introduction, Marty, (laughs) um, let's start with um, what are some of the key important aspects of saddle fitting? So when you come to a barn and you're looking at a horse and a saddle, you know, what, what are the key things that you look at? Um, well, I think the uh, to start with, it would be uh, you'd want to put the saddle on the horse, and you'd want it to find a place. So, in other words, you're putting on you're putting the saddle on the horse, and it, it kind of will like sit down on the horse, and it'll go like clunk, and it'll just be there. And so that's that would be the first thing. And then after that, then you have to try to uh, girth it. And once you girth it, if it's staying the same way. Um, that would be great. And then the next thing would be to actually ride it and then look at the uh, sweat patterns and see if it's actually as good as it looks. Okay, I have a question. I'm raising my hand. Okay. <laughs> okay. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Sure. Okay. So, Marty, number one thing I get asked all the time, you talk about sweat patterns. So, if you see a dry mm-hmm. patch... And there's like, say, if it's, if it's tight around, if there's around the withers on either side of the withers is dry, but everywhere else right. it's wet. What does that mean? It's, there's too much pressure in the front. Okay. Uh, where, where that is. And so that actually, it, it won't let the, uh, the sweat glands are, uh, have so much pressure that they actually can't, uh, they can't sweat. Okay. Wow. So in a so case like this, in a ca- yeah, okay, so in a case like that, so say if somebody has something like that and they're riding in a saddle that they like a lot and they have um, a filler pad or a fluffy pad or whatever, would you try removing that pad or would you just say saddle's too tight? Well, here's the thing with that. And so this is something to remember with the uh, fluffy pads and the other pads. Um, there's a couple of problems with them actually – when you put them on, even if there's no shims or anything in them, and they're just straight, when you put them on, they always lift the front a little bit more than the back. And okay. so that's number one. And then the other thing is is that you really have to watch out for um, certain horses have really wide and protruding, uh, like, spines. And, like, if mm. you put your hand on it, you're, like, three inches wide or something, you know. And uh, when you put a fluffy pad on, Sometimes it goes on either side of the spine, and the saddle goes in between it, so you get side-to-side pressure instead of just, um, um, you know, a down pressure. And you, you get to side-to-side, kind of like pinches it side-to-side. Okay, so that's yeah. that's the only thing you have to watch out for. Okay. And that could, you know, not sure if that would actually, sh- it might. It might show up as a dry spot, you know. Okay, okay. But that'll, uh, yeah. Because that, I mean, is that sort of like, that's always the biggest question I get when I have my clients saying, okay, I want you to look at the saddle. And obviously, Marty, you have trained me um, a lot and, um, uh, you know, about how it should fit and having clearance over the withers and stuff like that and standing behind and seeing how how they're fitting the horse. And, and obviously, and you and I have spent tons of time watching my riders go and we talk about how the saddle fits, which, by the way, is is not what I have ever experienced with anybody else that saddle fits. And I know Tigger, you would agree with me. Yeah. Um, but what do you feel is the number one, do you have a number one thing that people come to you with? Like what's the number one complaint or question or concern or, you know, what, what do people want to know? Um, well, I don't know that they uh, do. They just basically, uh, pretty much what happens is, uh, if they're having a problem with the horse or something, I'm just one of those people that is on their list to, uh, take care of it. So they basically get out the saddle guy and they say, Hey, is there any possibility that this could be a problem? You know? And so, uh, right. uh, and then you just go through the thing and you figure out whether or not it could be or whatever. And plus, uh, you know, uh, you can maybe get the saddle a little bit better for a little bit more freedom for the horse, and so the horse may be able to go a little bit better. Right. So, so if you are, if you have a horse that, and this is going to be a difficult question to answer, but just give it a whirl. Um, If you um, have a horse that you're seeing dry patterns on, 
when you take the saddle off the horse, and I know that you look at it upside down and you look to see the shape of the horse in your in your mind's eye, and then you look at what the saddle looks like, do you then start taking the flocking out? Do you move the flocking around? Does flocking get bad? I mean, you know, how do you deal with that? Uh, well, the uh, the uh, the flocking does actually get extremely hard. Uh, will get packed out and it'll get hard over time. Uh, the only thing that I have to say about that is years ago, um, well, actually in Europe, um, the people don't feel like they're getting as money's worth unless the flocking is completely filled and hard as a rock. So they won't wow. buy a saddle if it's soft, which is really a weird thing, but it, it's pretty much true. It's coming away from that a little bit now, but for years it was like that. And so they would want to actually like mold the thing into the horse's back. And the American mm-hmm. market, they're not having that at all. They just want soft, soft, soft. And so right. uh, that's that's not going to be uh, the way it's going to be over here. Mm. But um, so that could do it. And and then basically um, what you have on that is you just basically, what will happen on that most times is the back of the saddle will be on. So what, what's going to happen will be off. And so what you're going to wind up having is the front of the saddle is basically... Uh, um, you know, putting it's just pushing all the pressure on the front of the saddle, and the rest of the saddle is not really on the uh, on the uh, horse. A lot right. of times, that could be a building issue more than anything else. So it could be a, it could be a what a building issue. A building, Bil- no, billeting. A building, oh, billet, billet, Yes, a billeting uh, issue. So a lot of times, you could even cross the billets and see what happens. You know, right? I have to watch what I'm saying because I don't want to. Don't want to get anybody in trouble, but I mean, even loosening the front billet sometimes right. would actually help that a bit. You know, I, I, I'm not suggesting that, but I'm just saying that. Uh, <laughs> That's all right, Tigger. Will That's cool. <laughs> Tigger, why don't you just suggest that? Go ahead. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Loosen the front billet. Yeah, just do it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. You know, I mean, it's it's always uh, it's always that, and so like when you when you billet it, that's what I that's what I. Um, started to say in the beginning is like when you when you actually if the sa- the saddle sits on the horse's back really nice, but then as soon as you put tighten the billets, if the back comes up or something like that, you're pretty much going to get dry spots in it. So that's something you're going to need to address straight away. I mean, there, there's no way that you're going to be able to billet the uh, saddle and the back is going to pop up an inch or something, and it, it just can't be right. right. So you have all sorts of problems with that, you know, and so that's. That's the kind of thing that, uh, you know, people need to uh, be looking at uh, on their saddles and stuff. So a lot of times you can get away with it with shims and stuff like that. The problem with the uh, with the shims and things is that you don't really get, they're not, um, they don't really spread out that much. So you have not exactly pinpoint pressure, but again, uh, the pressure isn't relieved exactly correct. So what you wind up with is you put the shims in the front they'll bridge between the front and the back, and so then you have a spot in the middle of the saddle Uh where it's not touching the horse. So that's where you have a real real problem, you know. So so that's, uh, I mean, it's a good solution if you, uh, you know, can't get any help and you're having a problem with it, then it might be something that would work for a while. Right. So I have a question. Okay, go ahead. (laughs) I have one too, Marty. You can decide which one's better. Tigger, right, no, please wait, go. I'll do both. I'll do both. I'll do both. <laughs> but I want to know which is a better question. Go ahead, Tigger, please. <laughs> so, um, Marty, we we know that um, you represent the Somer saddle in the U.S. Right. And you've worked with a lot of different saddles. What makes Somer different from all the others? Um, you know, it's... Uh, um, well, it's a... A really um, high quality, and uh, and they actually been quite good. They they have uh, they they lean towards um, more comfort for the horse, um, and, and it basically uh, it has a uh, unique paneling system. So that the panel system is actually um, it puts a lot of panel on the horse's back, and so basically horses tend to uh, to uh, like them. So more contact is better of the surface of the saddle yeah. than less. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, uh, 
so some of the saddles uh, are more people orientated, and they have like mm-hmm. uh, where, where your legs go and stuff could be cut out, and and so uh, it, it puts less and less paddle on the horse's back, and so right. so that's the problem, you know. So it's it's uh, yeah, yeah. And the flexible tree is huge, don't you think? That yeah, you can I buy a four-year-old that, uh, horse and have the same saddle all the way up to Grand Prix. Which I've done, by the way, on two horses with a soma. Yeah, that's just, right. Just and so, uh, yeah, no, no, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's. Uh, I think it's a good thing for them because actually, um, you know, you want to you want to want the, the uh, saddle to stay with the horse all all the time, and so if it can actually move a little bit, it's actually much better for the uh, horse because they. They change. That's the other. The uh, maybe the last thing in the fitting is actually a really interesting point because if you got through all your steps and everything seems to be good, the other problem is, is actually when the horse goes. So a lot of times horses will uh, carry themselves uh, way different when they're going than when they're uh, standing, uh, yeah. standing still. So that's the other part that uh, you know. But that takes wow. I, I think it's just it's not luck. I mean, if you have a really good saddle or something, you need to be able to see the person go and see what happens with the horse. But it's just, uh, uh, and then you can actually, if you can, you can make the adjustments for it. But, um, but that would be, you know, that could be something that a lot of times people don't even get because they're saying, oh my God, the saddle's perfect. And then when you go to ride it, it just changes everything completely. Yeah, yeah. So this, which comes to my question, which by the way, Tigger, your question was quite good. <laughs> Thank you. This was a good question. Um, how often do you recommend people have their saddles looked at? Excellent question. Thank you. Thank you, Tigger. Well, that's, that's a, you know, that's a, uh, that's a really, uh, that is a really interesting question. And, um, um, people ask me that. I ask people that my, myself. I have a, a friend that uh, his dad owns uh, one of the big English uh, saddle companies, and I keep asking him, "Are you taking over the company yet, or whatever?" And so, no, still fitting saddles. So, yeah, well, yeah. tell me, is there anything you learned? Right? And he goes, "Well, no. In six months, though, you got to do it every time, no matter what yeah. you do." And I was like, yeah. "Oh my God, thanks." Anyway, yep. so so what happens is, you know, it, it can be anything at all. I mean. Uh, uh, you know, they could, they, uh, like with stallions and stuff, if the stallions breed a lot, uh, or certain times of year, they lose weight, they gain mm-hmm. weight, whatever. And so, so really, uh, that's the thing that you have to deal with, you know, and, and, and it also, um, as the horses, uh, get, get older, um, their bodies change because they mm-hmm. basically, you know, just would. And so I would think that, um, I don't know, at least once a year for sure. And it all depends on how much high performance you're doing. If you're doing yeah. really high performance, it would change a lot more, you know? Because I've always leaned towards, um, per our discussions, Marty, is I try to do it every six months if I can. Just because even yeah, if you just sit fantastic. it on the... Yeah, if you just sit it on yeah. the horse and go, yep, groovy, we're good. Because a lot of times, I mean, yeah. I but I have so many times seen... Um, get a saddle fitted, the horse starts to go super well because he's not being stuck or blocked or whatever. And then you're four months down the road and you're like, crap, I need to do this again. You know, and exactly. that, and, and so yeah. I think you just have to keep listening to your horse, right? You just have to keep paying attention and exactly. listening. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and again, when you, when you, uh, you know, when you, um, take the saddle off, uh, you know, to look at, to look and see what, what kind of, uh, sweat pattern you have. And, mm-hmm. you know, just basically, you know, if you feel like it's not going well, then look at the sweat pattern and say, oh my God, it's like all here or all there or right. whatever. And then, right. you know, try to make any kind of, if you can do it or get somebody in to do it, and, you know, right away. And yeah. so it's just basically, uh, yeah, and I've tried, uh, I've tried everything with the, uh, from the computerized pads and everything, but the, but unfortunately, uh, those things um, will tell you more about how the rider's sitting in the world. Yeah, about yeah. The mm-hmm. actual saddle thing. You that's know? interesting. So that's yeah. So so I haven't there. I don't know that there's really like I said. It's just um, the old fashioned uh, 
sweat kind of thing is mm-hmm. probably the best, mm-hmm. you know. Well, cool. But that's good. That's that, good. That's so good to know because I don't think people understand sweat patterns enough. Yeah. And and you did exactly. such a great job at explaining that because, you know, um, I mean, just today I took a saddle off a horse that I was feeling so confident was fitting well and right on the other side of the withers, it was too dry. And I thought, huh, I think I'll ask that tonight in a question. <laughs> and I did. Um, <laughs> and so, a lot of times horses' attitudes, oh, yeah. you know, when you get a saddle that really fits them correctly, their attitudes change. And what felt like a resistant horse is no longer resistant. Yeah. Or a horse exactly. that has is tight in the back suddenly is no longer tight in the back. Because I think as riders, we tend to go for a saddle that feels good to us. That makes right. sense. Whatever kind of rider we <laughs> yeah. are. But yeah. Ultimately, but ultimately, yeah. we've really got to look for a saddle that works for our horse. For the horse. Yeah, which so I, I have I have one last thing um, I would yeah. like to ask a question. It just it, your feel about this, Marty. Um, it, just in my recent training, um, I have experienced having a horse that um, that came to me with some kissing spine, and um, someone had asked me, "Do you believe that kissing spine can come from bad saddle fit?" Because then, of course, if it's bad saddle fit, the horse isn't going forward, not being able to lift his shoulders, lift his back, go forward to the bit. I mean, in essence, sure. I mean, that could make a horse invert his back and not use his spine properly. What do you think about that? That's that's exactly it. And so what happens is if you have uh, prolonged pressure in certain areas, the muscles get damaged and then muscles can't um, carry the uh, carry the back that well and so then okay. the next thing you know they they you know you, you're getting too much of a dip you just basically yeah you, uh, have a dip so when they hollow their back it's possible that they could uh you know get kissing spine from that. sure so, so i'm right so that's the whole thing you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah exactly <laughs> Exactly. Thank you, Tigger. I just would like to point out to the group that I had an excellent question, and I was right. I'm done. See you guys later. No. Where's the Bronx so, here? But I want to add one more thing to this. Uh, to this, uh, to when you when you're looking at the uh, sweat patterns and stuff, and a lot of people actually look at the saddle pad, you know. And mm-hmm. so uh, sometimes you can kind of look at that. And so, uh, but I have to tell you that the darker marks on the saddle pad, like normally would be towards the back. What that does is, is it basically uh, is almost working like a billows because uh, if the, the saddle's moving a little bit and when it goes up, like when it comes up or whatever, it's sucking in dirt. And and so it's got oh. sweat and dirt going. So that's why you get all these black things on your uh, on your saddle pad. You know, oh, where it's okay. like, huh. like a dirt okay. mark or whatever because it's kind of like a billows kind of effect, you know? Right. Okay. Yeah, so so that means that actually, yeah, it may not have that much pressure, but a lot of times if you look at the saddle pad, it, you dream that it's something that it's not because the saddles aren't really that big, and basically if you put it on the saddle pad, you realize, oh, my God, that's not even near the saddle. Mm-hmm. So it's mm-hmm. just wherever it is under the saddle, you know what I mean? It's not, not an inch right. or two away. It has nothing right. to do with it, you know? Cool. Yeah. Well, I got to say, I, I, you know, Marty, uh, we had a little bet going whether you could do as, as well as Beth because Beth knocked it out of the park. <laughs> she I, did, but I'm just, so did you. I don't know, Marty. I'm saying it's nose and nose, and um, okay. I don't know. I don't know. Well, I I, I'm going to hate to, I, I hate to tell you this, but uh, I figured it out today, and uh, not any, well, I kind of figured it out, but my God, I might be on 50. Like fifteen thousand saddles that I've actually adjusted. Oh my gosh! Whoa! Isn't that crazy? I know because yeah. I average like I average like two or three a day, and I've been doing it for oh my god, like crazy amounts of time. Isn't that amazing? Wow! Yeah, I know that is. No, that's amazing. Actually, I think the word so, is yeah. Wow. Yeah, and and here's the problem, though, guys. I'm still a practicing saddler. Oh my god, practicing, <laughs> yes. But see, Marty, that's what makes you so great. Yeah. That's what you makes think? you so great. Oh my god. Yeah. Yeah. No, I know. Exactly. It's, and that's actually that's the fun of it. You know, it's just a challenge and because uh, every you know, every day it's just like a different challenge and uh 
and, and, and one other thing that's really, really funny, and you know, sometimes you just get these like little insights and stuff. So I was, I was, uh, freezing my ass off in, uh, in Boston, like two weeks ago. And, uh, one of the people there was, uh, uh, was a shoer. And so, uh, he, so he was, he was like, he's, you know, or whatever. Anyway, so we were talking and he said, you know, the only difference we mean you is you can take that stuff in, you can put it in, take it out and do it a million times till you get it right. He goes, problem is I can only cut the shoe once. That's the problem. Yeah. He said, then I have to wait four weeks to have it done again. <laughs> so I think that, <laughs> so I think that that's another thing that's really, uh, an interesting uh, thought about that. You know, you can actually play with these things. Um, they're, you know, they're they're basically uh, uh, changeable, which yeah. is actually really good. Well, yeah, that's cool. So that would be, uh, yeah. That's cool. Well, Marty, this was pretty good, and I think that you need to tell your wife uh, <laughs> she got some competition, okay? So we may have to bring the both of you on at some point and do the battle, oh my the battle of the hastes, okay? There you what go. Do you think? Perfect, awesome. Guys. Awesome. Yeah. I would love that. And, and we'll party the while they're here. I think it's know? awesome. <laughs> Marty, thank you so much, and we'll see you soon. Oh, no thank problem. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Patty. Okay. okay. Bye. Bye. Hi, Tigger. Hedwig. Hi, Hedwig. Patty. How are you? Oh, my gosh. It's a so much has happened since we last spoke. <laughs> so, what a busy pup you are. Well, she's you down no in Wellington. Can you can you tell us a little bit what's going on in Wellington? Well, let me tell you. First of all, we got tiny kittens that live in our tag room oh, in boy. a box. Tiny kittens. They're like puppies, only not as cute. Um, Do you like and they, they Yes. <laughs> because they're they're funky little monkeys. And they climb up their cage and then they jump on each other's heads. So I like to watch them all day. Yep, they're like a TV, only better. <laughs> okay. So what's what's going on in Wellington from a Pomeranian's point of view? Um, there are a lot of horses, Tigger, you know, so that part's pretty much the same. Um, and the staff is overly interested in the horses. Um, so that's pretty boring. And there's one one horse that's called Snouter, and it's called Snouter because it snouts my head and goes <laughs> in my fur. And that's a little disturbing, to be honest. <laughs> and there's another one that is confusingly called Omelette, although I have tried to eat it, and it is not an omelette. <laughs> so, I mean... To be frank, I think the servant might be losing her mind, but it's, it's good to pretend that it's all okay. Well, good. That's a good dog. That's a very, that, that sounds like you're being very good. Are, are you having, are you, what is your fashion while in Wellington? What are you wearing? Well, I, I always just wear my same martingale collar because I'm a little bit clever at getting out of stuff. So I just have my collar and it has my name written on Hedwig and my servant's phone number in case ever we are separated. Okay. I'm sure that's a good fashion. <laughs> well, of course. Because you're Hedwig and I'm sure it's adorable. Now I, I do rock I'm, my look. Yeah. <laughs> yes, you do. I'm sure you do. Now I, I'm going to admit to our listening audience that I am not servant material Uh-oh. for Hedwig. What'd you do, Tig? Uh, I refused to feed her on a schedule. Oh, and Hedwig didn't like so, it. The good news is you're only taking care of us for a very short time. <laughs> Duly noted. <laughs> oh, boy. We would starve on your watch. <laughs> on Tigger's schedule. Schedule. I, I am so sorry. <laughs> Are we using the word schedule loosely? <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like it. Do tell, girl. Do tell. 
we eat our breakfast in the morning right um right away that we get up which is right around 4:45 and then <laughs> we like to have our dinner at 5 oh and in between our snacks and and Tigger didn't know that <laughs> apparently she's a little bit thinking she's free to just feed us whenever <laughs> Because Tigger, you, she Tigger, has thumbs and can go to the refrigerator and get food whenever she's hungry. But I am a nine-pound dog, and I can't do that, Tigger. <laughs> Tigger, you're listening, correct? <laughs> <laughs> it's duly noted, Hetty. Okay. Duly okay. noted. Perhaps when our servant is away, you could buck up the scheduling a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm really looking forward to feeding two palms, two Australian shepherds, and a rescue terrier. Yeah, it sounds like a My good day. Friend Yodi. <laughs> so, Hedwig, do you have, have any um, final thoughts before the? You know, this is the start of the season. Are you are you looking forward to going to the to the horse shows, to the dressage shows? No. Oh, <laughs> what would make me want to go to a dressage show? Some strange need to suffer. <laughs> no, thank you. Um, what I prefer to do is stay home um, or, or watch the kittens. Those those things are fun. I don't really enjoy horse shows per se because they're boring and the servant <laughs> is distracted. Oh, and I was at Den, and as a reminder, it rained and was freaking freezing for four days. So we we basically drowned. Our grandmother actually bought us raincoats that are stored in a little container that says Devon Emergency Kit. Oh, okay. Well, you may need them for Wellington because it's been a wet season so far. I know. My feet have been wet. (laughs) Poor little Hetty. Well, maybe I'm coming down next week and maybe I'll buy you some rain boots. Thank you so much, Patty. You are so thoughtful. Thank, thank you. I've been told that before. <laughs> really? Well, good. All right. I'll get you some rain boots. Let's hope for not rain, rain in uh, Wellington. And hopefully you'll have a great season and get fed well, on time. I, 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 I am amazing. So that should be no problem. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Hetty. Thanks. We'll, we'll Bye, talk guys. to you in the next show. Bye, Henry. All right. Take care. Bye. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, competing for best in show. So tonight, the breed of the show, um, it's Border Terrier. And I have one of the most unique Border Terriers, I think, um, that is out there. His name is Gavin, or Gavi Doodle, as he was named early on in his life. And I wanted him, I wanted to get a Border Terrier because um, I... I love the I love Jack Russells, but sometimes they can be too intense, and um, they're supposed to be sort of more le- you know low key um, terrier. And um, so what was interesting, Tigger, I was telling you earlier, I learned some stuff about border terriers that I kind of knew, but I didn't know, and um, so kind of cool. Um, they they got their name because they were um, bred on the borders of Eng- England and Scotland. So I'm sure that's not a big surprise to anybody. But the purpose was to to bolt foxes. <laughs> I thought they would run across the border, sort of like spies. For yeah, like with little spy suits on and spy glasses. Can you so imagine James Bond? Yeah, can James you imagine Bond Gavin dog. with his little mouth sticking out? Um, anyway, um, but the purpose was to bolt foxes from the ground and kill rodents. So they're, you know, they're, they, same sort of, you know, earth dog, vermin, whatever. Um, interesting. Their, their coat is very harsh, somewhat like the, um, wire version of the Jack Russell, which we talked about last time. Same thing. They live about 12 to 14 years, coarse coat, um, and this has always been my thing with Gavin is, um, you know, you're supposed to strip the coat to keep it wiry. I of course didn't do that because the one thing that I realized when researching it is they're extraordinarily sensitive. And I mean, I, I knew 
Gavin was, but I thought Gavin was special. And apparently it is very much a breed thing. Um, so that was, that was kind of an eye opener to me. And what they mean is, is that they don't do well with, I mean, they're, if they're out and they're hunting, they're fine. There's not going to be a lot pulling them off of what they want to do, but in a house, they don't like loud noises. Absolutely would agree with that. You can't be too sharp or harsh on them because they take it very personally. So I think that's what makes them a little bit of an easier home dog than a Jack, than your typical Jack Russell. Um, so this is the thing that, um, okay. One other sideline, they were bred to keep up with horses. Absolutely. Gavin has gone on many trail rides with me in Virginia and kept up the whole way. He's been like, he's awesome that way. He's really a fantastic barn dog and he always sticks around and he's was fairly easy to train and he's, you know, relative. he's really quite obedient. Um, he has my a train. funny bite though. Well, he, you know, he, he does. He has the malocclusion of his jaw, which is not typical of the breed okay. at all. He really isn't. He actually, a brother of his and the, the, um, a friend and client of mine had bought as well, um, was from the same litter and was like one of the most perfect ones I've ever seen. Gavin was perfect in personality. <laughs> There's certain gotcha. people, Kelly Farmer's now taking a fake gun and shooting her head saying that, but, um, <laughs> Gavin has always been a little yappy. Um, which I don't think is is as typical as the breed. He's a little off that um, the path of what I, I read. But do you this think is that an, has anything to do with his bite? Him being yappy, <laughs> he just wants to show his. He's got the whitest teeth because they're always being seen in the sun. Um, I, I don't know how to answer that, Tigger. That is not a question I know. Um, but um, they actually, and this will explain a little bit too, the ancestry that shares ancestry with the Dandy Diamant and the Bedlington Terrier. Oh, really? Yeah. And so one of the things that high, one of the characteristics of the dog is an otter-like head, a wider, broader head, which is why I like the breed um, mm-hmm. because I like the, the fatter kind of head. So here's the interesting thing I read. And of course, I called Gavin to, to, tr- to try this out. They have very loose skin. Okay, so that they can get in and out of holes because they like a Jack Russell, they are they get to the earth and they get down to the ground, they go in holes and, you know, a lot of them will get stuck. Well, what it said in this one thing is, is like literally you can pick up the skin on their back quite high. Okay, it's that loose. Wow. And I did it to Gavin and is it, it's, it's a true story. And the thing is, is that what it, it does is it helps them get through tight holes so they can move around. Blew my mind away. I, I that dog's what ten years old. I never do. So I'm picking his skin up, and he's just sitting there going, "Yeah, this is cool. It's really interesting, right?" I thought that was so interesting. Um, that is. So, and now, what other breeds have loose skin like that? Basset hounds. Um, A lot of Earth dogs do have. I mean, I and I'm certain Jack Russells are certain to that. But you know, in the research I did on the Jack Russell verse, and I keep referring to the Jack Russell because it was just sort of comparison, a good comparison dog for me. Um, I'm sure the Jack has it, but like literally the next time you see Gavin, I will pick up the skin. You're going to go, wow. Didn't know. I mean, like I'm talking four or five inches, Tig. Wow. Yeah. Now, do the Cairns or the Norfolks? That's a good question. That could be one of the dogs you do next. Um, I, I don't know. But I've in all the research I've ever done on dogs, that is not something I had ever heard of or thought of. It makes complete, The minute I read it and then did it with him, it was like, wow. I mean, just imagine getting in a tight hole and their skin moving and then being able to get out, right? I mean, it makes sense, right? So anyway, I found that fascinating. Um, you know, the dog's been around the breed itself has been around since like 1920. It was AKC record recognized in 1930. Um, they are sort of known proudly as sort of being a mutt ish looking dog. Um, they come in a bunch of different colors, but they're all basically sort of a grizzle or Brown or Belge is one of them called. There's a black and tan. Um, but they are really, really great characters. And, um, I mean, if it's somebody who wants a terrier type breed, this would be a dog that I would recommend more than any other terrier because they literally will sit on your lap. If you're sitting down, they'll sit on you. And that is very characteristic of the breed. Wherever I am, Gavin goes. And they're very, very smart. Um, One of the favorite stories we have about Gavin is that um, anybody who knows me knows I go to bed very early and Gavin will head up. And I don't know if it's something he senses or whatever. He knows when I'm about 15 minutes out. And he heads up and go get, and he goes and waits for me in bed. 
And I didn't really recognize this until I had like people live with me for the summer and they're like, there goes Gavin. And like, you know, I was like, what are you talking about? And sure enough, I mean, Gavin just heads up to bed 15 minutes before I get there. So they're very interactive with their people. They love the family. They get along with other animals. He gets along great with cats. Um, It's just a dog that I would highly recommend because I think that if you want something that can be in the barn and be hardy, can deal with harsh weather, whether it's too hot or too cold or whatever it's just a great dog and a great sideline about gavin um he's a fantastic swimmer (laughs) and i don't know if you really oh he's a fantastic swimmer um the house i had in wellington the whole backyard was was just a pool okay it was just just you know it was a zero lot line house so the whole backyard was just this pool and so um ray was very young he was about four years old and he used to love getting in the pool and walking around he was probably a little older than four he probably he was probably closer to six actually and um but he would walk along the edge of the pool right and on the shallow end of it and gavin would get in and start swimming and ray would grab at him and pull him underwater Okay, and you know, Gavin would be like, "Ray, like, Ray, right, right, you're you know, you're drowning the dog, whatever." So Gavin learned to go underwater, whoa, to avoid him and <laughs> pop up on the other side. And it was just, it was bizarre. It truly was bizarre. And um, but he would get in every day. We'd get back from the barn. He'd go run in. He'd get in the pool, do a little dip, <laughs> go underwater to get away from Ray, and come back out. I heard there were there are certain terriers that can't swim. I've heard that too. That um, doesn't make any sense. Yeah, but I think they're um, there's heavy. They're heavier type, like they're like yeah, the like the Norwich, yeah. yeah, or the Norwich because that's a blockier body type. I mean, this yeah. is a this is a. And I guess they just body. sink. <laughs> Do you want to find out? <laughs> we can call Sally Spinard. <laughs> she says that he Sally. doesn't swim. Isn't that funny? Yeah, Gavin's a great swimmer. Always has been. So. I, it's a it's a dog I highly recommend. That's so interesting. And yeah. and what kind of health issues do they have typically? Um, I mean, kind of like um, it, honestly, that there was nothing that really stood out. There was nothing that was glaring that I saw. Um, um, uh, I personally, with him. Um, like a lot of smaller dogs and I think terrier breeds, um, he very early on in his life, um, showed up with epilepsy, epilepsy. Um, but other than that, I think they're kind of an easygoing dog with not a whole lot of uh, health issues. Wow. That's a great recommendation. Yeah. They're good dogs. Very good dogs. I'll put that on my, on my list. (laughs) Well, the, the little terrier you have right now looks a little uh, border terrier-esque. She she does, but she also looks Yorkie-esque. Oh, does she? She's, she's border terrier with long – she's got the border terrier long legs, long body. Right. And then she's got these Yoda ears, and okay. she has a tail that looks like a pug. Oh, my God. I can't wait to meet her. I, I just can't. It's, it's pretty unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm feeling good. Welcome to Critter Nutrition, and we're going to talk about what the term natural means. Natural is on so many labels. It's all over in advertising of human products, canine products, equine products. And there there is an assumption that we all make as consumers that natural means healthier, better for you, pesticide-free, GMO-free, minimally processed. Sadly, in reality, natural on a label does not mean any of that. Under federal labeling rules, the the word natural means absolutely nothing. The FDA and the U.S. Department of Agriculture allow companies to use the term natural on labels as long as nothing artificial or synthetic has been added. I'm going to say this again. As long as nothing artificial or synthetic has been added. This is a non-regulated, rather broad definition. It allows vitamins made from coal tar and petroleum 
to be called natural. It allows companies to call MSM natural, even though it is made from petroleum byproducts and methane gas. Even highly processed food ingredients can be called natural. Um, According to Michelle Simon, who is a public health lawyer based in California, this state of confusion is right where the food industry wants us. So it's to... It's to the food um, industry's advantage that we're confused or that we're making the assumption that natural actually means that it's healthier for you. Um, one of the, the cases that I like to bring up um, to, to relate this whole natural uh, confusion is the case of high fructose, high fructose corn syrup. Um, It was condemned by consumers and physicians, Um, and and yet high fructose corn syrup was often labeled as natural. According to the Environmental Working Group, when the sugar industry complained to the FDA about high fructose corn syrup, the FDA defended high fructose corn syrup because it is derived from corn. Therefore, it is natural. However, although high fructose corn syrup started out as corn, the Corn Refiners Association explains, while the corn used to produce high fructose corn syrup may or may not have been produced using genetically enhanced corn, existing scientific literature and current testing results indicate that corn DNA cannot be detected in measurable amounts in high fructose corn syrup. So that means that after you you take the corn, you refine it down, you use whatever processes to end up with high fructose corn syrup. When you test for DNA, there is no corn DNA in it. Which is so bizarre, is I don't even have words for it. Let's look at natural flavorings as part of the whole natural phenomenon. There really isn't a significant difference between natural flavors and artificial flavors. In order to make highly processed foods or supplements that contain laboratory-created ingredients appealing... A whole flavor industry has emerged, and it has emerged from the fragrance industry because smell makes up 80 to 90% of the sense of taste. Flavorings increase sales by making mouth-watering tastes. In a 2011 interview with Morley Safer from 60 Minutes, two flavor scientists said that one of their goals was making food addictive. So they make it addictive by the flavoring. And when you taste something, it stimulates, you know, receptors in your brain, just like it does with horses and dogs and cats. A natural flavoring, let's say natural apple flavor, is considered natural by the FDA if a chemical originally found in apples is a component of the flavoring ingredients. Both natural flavoring and artificial flavoring can contain over a hundred or more ingredients, including solvents, preservatives, and flavor modifiers, that's one of my favorites, that often make up 80 to 90% of the mixture. Now, when it comes to an artificial flavoring... It must be comprised of one of 700 FDA-allowed flavoring chemicals or any of the 2,000 other chemicals not directly regulated by the FDA but sanctioned for use by the Flavor and Extract Manufacturers Association. Natural or artificial emulsifiers, solvents, and preservatives in flavor mixtures are called, get this, 
incidental additives and are not required to be disclosed on labels. These solvents can be ethanol and propylene glycol. So, for me, when I see natural on a label, number one, it doesn't mean schnitz. Number two, I don't buy the product because it's a marketing term that has no meaning. And in fact, I run away from from any company that puts natural on the label because I know that there can be a host of processed issues, solvent issues, extract issues, and other chemicals that they don't have to reveal in their processes. And so that for me is not natural. The kind of um, labels that you want to look for that give you a, a greater degree of certainty are going to be USDA certified organic. It's going to be um, certified GMO free. Those are things, those are standards that are so much higher than the FDA or USDA standards in terms of what quote unquote natural is. So if you're looking for something that doesn't have solvents, GMO-free, isn't grown with pesticides or herbicides that are considered toxic, USDA certified organic, and if you just want to go with GMO-free, look for certified GMO-free. So we're very happy to have Christian Muller-Ehrenberg joining us, who who is from Germany, but he's here in Wellington, and he has got an amazing set of compression and ice therapy socks for horses and for dogs. <laughs> and um, I have seen these in action myself, and I... So excited to have Christian join us for our Coffee Clatch segment with Patty, of course, um, to talk about the importance of compression and ice therapy. So, so welcome, Christian. Welcome, welcome. Yes, thank you very much for the nice, warm words. Uh, I appreciate that, uh, and I uh, enjoy this conversation. <laughs> hey, I, I heard that you are a vet. That's right. I'm a vet. I, uh, I'm also... Uh, addicted with horses. I made an apprenticeship in horseback riding after school, so I'm. Uh, I really have the horse have the horse virus, and uh, also <laughs> know a little bit about the organism uh, of a horse. Cool. I think that's great. I think that that gives you so much um, credibility. credibility. Yeah. Good word, Tiggs. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. So, 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 Christian, tell us, tell our listeners about compression and ice therapy. What are the benefits? Why is it better than just putting a, a cold um, gel pad on a horse's leg? Yeah. Um, I mean, all, all many good things are coming from the human world. And uh, it's the same with the compression technique um, and the icing for, for horses. I mean, icing, cooling has... Uh, several benefits. Uh, when you cool the horse with really with real ice, you um, you reduce the meto- metabolic process, and also the enzyme activity is decreased, and that's why the inflammatory process will be inhibited, uh, the swellings degenerate, and the bleeding tendency is declined. That's the reason for for cooling, and um, and compression. I mean, we all went to hospital maybe uh, one or days four in former times. And sometimes we had to wear these thrombosis socks. Yeah. So um, it's pretty much the same uh, idea behind this. Uh, uh, through a special uh, fabric textile, um, we create pressure on the venous blood vessel system and also on the lymphatic system. And that's why the, um, the oxygen transport is increased, uh, the blood circulation is increased, and that has many benefits. So you bring, as I said, oxygen to the areas which need help. You bring uh, vitamins, you bring minerals, you bring nutrients to the area uh, which which are needed, and um, that's uh, that's that's a benefit. And also, you 
you flush out very fast um, waste products. For example, after work, lactic acid, for example, uh, are flushed out much faster. Oh, wow. Okay, that's really interesting. So, so who can benefit from these? What type of horses? What, where, what's, your, what's your target market? I would say any type of horse which has um, uh, a problem, uh, a horse which has a swollen leg, uh, bow tendon, a torsion, uh, inflammation, uh, injury. Um, and this is a common problem in the, in the horse world, as, as we know. Um, every every kind of horse, for sure, uh, sports horse, of course, for sure, but mm-hmm. also pleasure horse, um, whatever, you name it. So, is this something that would help with lactic acid buildup? I mean, lactic acid you find mostly after heavy work in muscles. Right. Muscle yeah. And okay. uh, not so much, not so much in a, in a, in a leg. Um, for muscle groups, uh, I mean, there's also compression technique. We we, we are talking here now about uh, the socks and the, mm-hmm. the ice socks and the and the suits. And the compression right. suit, which is really um, a whole suit for the horse, looks right. very sexy. I have to say, uh, <laughs> every time, every time when I put it on a horse, everybody takes his camera and make a photo. It looks really uh, funky. But um, um, so uh, the main muscle groups are now um, under pressure, mm-hmm. and um, and that's that's uh, what what makes so, so good for the horse. So is this something that, um, I live in Houston, Texas, so in the summer it's really, really hot here. Can you use the, the suit in in hot weather? No, that's a good question, uh, Patty. Uh, yes, of course. I mean, the suit comes from Australia. The company named Heights, they are uh, creating, a, they uh, invented this, this uh, product. Mm-hmm. And uh, in Australia it's very hot as well. Mm-hmm. And um, it's a special fabric. It's a moisture management breathable fabric they uh, invented. And they have also horse in the, in the horse in the past with carrying the suit. So they don't sweat under the suit. And um, okay. it's, it's breathable. It's breathable. And there was one uh, very famous racing horse named Black Caviar. She mm-hmm. traveled from uh, Sydney to, um, to London. And there was a vet on board. He made a report. He measured the enzymes. He measured the muscle temperature, uh, the, the body temperature. And he was really impressed. The horse only lost eight kilograms of weight, no swollen legs. And the horse was very fit, uh, didn't lose, lose so much energy. And uh, he, he was very impressed about um, the fitness of the horse. Christian, I have, um, I have seen this ice compression sock. And it's it's really unique to the market, and it, we've never seen this in the U.S. And what one of the many things that impresses me is its ability to cover hock or knee all the way down to the pastern. That's cool. And it to describe this to to everyone, it zips up the cannon bone. So you know, yeah. putting on a compression. If you didn't have a zipper, you, the grooms would hate you mm-hmm. <laughs> because it that compression really can take a lot of physical getting yeah. it. It's you know it's sort of like getting on the old bell boots of of our youth. <laughs> um, Tiga, you are you are absolutely right, Tiga. There's one sock on, on the German market. You have to put it like a bell boot over the hoof. Uh, yeah. Uh, and that is really uh, a pain in the uh, something. Yeah? <laughs> so uh, <laughs> uh, uh, you're absolutely right. This uh, this uh, compression sock, the normal compression sock and the compression eye sock are absolutely unique because you have all the way from above the, the hock or the knee and below the pastern, you have compression, constant compression. And it's also very easy to handle. Yeah, As you said, with a zipper, um, uh, and it's really you, lightweight, Patty. I mean, it's is it? it's feather light. I am so excited about seeing this. And what was uh, yeah. really cool about the demonstration, because we took it to a barn. This groom had never used it before. She zipped it up, and Christian checked that the 
that it was the right size because these compression ice socks come in different sizes depending on the size of the horse's, you know, cannon bone and, and leg. Right. And then they poured the ice into the it, – it's like it has an envelope oh, or neat. a sleeve that goes from one side of the zipper all around the horse's leg to the other side of the zipper. And it goes from the knee all the way down to the pastern or to the hock all the way down to the pastern. And so you just pour the ice in there. And I watched this girl who had never used this sock before fill it with ice. The horse is standing there, very comfortable, very happy. And you could move the ice around so it's covering the whole leg except for the the front where the zipper is. And it was fast. You know, it was, mm-hmm. didn't take a lot of time. And and then when I went and looked at a, a typical normal ice boot, which is very short, which is very convenient, but what what is better than being able to take care of literally the entire leg? Well, the biggest issue with any of the gel things that are out there is some of them are, you know, and, cold enough and they, but they don't have contact. They don't contact yeah. the skin. Right. And you end up making the eye, the area around the leg cold, but not the actual leg. I mean, that's a common thing, isn't it, Christian? Yes, it's absolutely right. And the good thing is here, you don't have direct contact to the leg. Mm-hmm. Uh, that would be also not, not ideal. Um, there is a, the fabric in between, but it's, it's super cold uh, and has a perfect benefit for, for the leg. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so you're not going to burn... Right, exactly. The leg with too much cold because you, you know, you could technically do that. Well, this sounds this sounds really kind of like a hot hot item. I think this is going to really take off. This is just I I can't wait to get my hands on them and see them myself. And you know what? I think the applications for this. um, I'm thinking of the laminita horse. Oh Yeah. yeah. And the foundering horse. Yeah. And um, and the horse that after work, you know, I remember Dr. Ober saying, every time you work your horse, bring him in and stick him in a bucket of ice, basically. Yeah. Put his yeah. legs in ice. And I thought, wow, that's, <laughs> that's, that's a lot brutal. of hours. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I see it very much on the jumper side. Mm-hmm. It, they are very, very into... Um, icing legs after the horse works. And of course, you know, we know how popular game ready was at one, yeah. one time. Sure. But it became, you know, cumbersome. really not practical. Yeah. And it was cumbersome and it was hard to get around. And, exactly. you know, you're doing horse after horse and it's just like you, you're doing 14 horses a day. That was a hard thing to set up. Yes. And you had, it was a bag of ice per horse. Yeah. So it's a lot. And, you know, a bag of ice is, you know, 250 Well, so, but also just, you know, where do you keep it? How do you store that? You know what I mean? Right. That, that, you know, so this, this, is a, this is kind of a cool thing. Well, I am extremely interested and excited to see it in person. And, and what I like here, the suits. What, I, what yeah. I really like here is a double benefit. You have the icing and the compression. And that yeah. makes it so, so special unique. and so unique. Awesome. Christian, do you, could you put... Um, if we had gel pads that we could heat in the microwave, could you, I mean, wouldn't it be possible to also use it for heat to draw out wounds or infection? Well, that's a very good idea, Tiga. Uh, I, I don't see any problems there. That should be also working for sure. Cool. Yeah. That would be, or, you know, if it, that would be very cool, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think there's. Yeah, that's really that's so interesting. There's, there, there, it sounds like there's a lot of possibilities, not just the obvious ones that we've been talking about that could be a real benefit. And let me tell you, you can fold this up like a sock. I mean, that's how much space it takes up. Wow, cool. Yeah, that's amazing. Well, cool. Well, <laughs> uh, yeah, I can't wait to see it. Yeah, so Patty will be seeing it officially next week. So. It's a date, Christian. It's a date. (laughs) It's a date. It's a date. Oh my God! You better come bearing gifts. I have to get. I have to get dressed. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. (laughs) And bring a beer. And bring a beer or coffee. At least least one beer. At least. At least. (laughs) 
<laughs> well, great. I look forward to it. Christian, thank you so much. And um, I will see you tomorrow. Any questions? Thanks for listening, everyone. And thanks to our sponsor, Biostar US. You can find them online at biostarus.com. Get the Horse Radio Network phone app or iOS or Android by searching for Horse Radio Network in the App Store. It's free and it's easy to use. For details about today's show, go to HealthyCrittersRadio.com, where you can find links, photos, and more information about our guests. And as always, we love your feedback. Please follow us on Facebook under Healthy Critters Radio. Be sure to visit all the great shows on the Horse Radio Network at HorseRadioNetwork.com. Hug your dog. Love your horse. Feed your chickens. And clean the litter box. Ha <laughs> ha